Thanks for tuning in to the Boiler Express podcast. Join us each week as we dive into all things Purdue sports. You'll hear in-depth analysis of our previous and upcoming games, as well as interviews with players and people involved in the Purdue sports fandom. Be sure to check us out on Twitter and YouTube for our live stream shows as well. What's going on, everybody? You're tuning into another live episode of the Boiler Express podcast. I am your interim host. That's weird to say. Uh, why Damon's out, uh, Dylan Kuhn here. We also have uh, BXP Russ in the house. Uh, we have Five O Ghost and the biggest brain in the game today, Mister the Stat Tank Frank. So, uh, boys, how are we feeling about uh, the latest of uh, happenings here in the Purdue fandom? I'm good with it. I'm excited. Uh, just kind of fun to see uh, see things develop and get to March because I think we've all kind of just been anxiously awaiting getting there we're gonna have to get some bigger trophy cases that's for sure because they are they are doubling by the week it seems to be which is a great problem to have i think i don't know if that's in babinski's budget that's fun to say uh but definitely bigger trophy cases are are gonna have to come come about in Mackey arena it's always a great season when you can get the um you know the the conference win and also the conference tournament win um I mean, what a conference tournament it was, too. Just from top to bottom, it was just full of upsets. I mean, it definitely felt like March. It was so much fun. Uh, so you guys want to start with the Ohio State game? Well, chronologically, I, I think we should start with Rutgers. Start with Rutgers, yeah. That's good. That's a good idea. Yeah. See, this is why I don't host. I mean, this is why Damon's, <laughs> this is why Damon's the host, because Damon is the best at it. So shout out to our guy, Damon. So, yeah, we'll start with the Rutgers game. Um, I mean, my my takes were, you know, it was it was good. It was good to be physically tested, you know, like the way Rutgers does, um, I guess, from a physicality standpoint. It was good to see us prevail, you know, in that kind of game. It's something we've kind of struggled with. It was good to see us shoot the ball really well. You know, Ethan Morton made two huge threes. Um, you know, we, we saw David Jenkins only hit one. Uh, Mason Gillis was the Ken Palm MVP of that game, you know, five for five from two. Um, two, uh, two for three from three and um, was four for six at the line, five offensive rebounds, four defensive rebounds, just all around great game for Mason Gillis. Um, it was good to see really just on the, you know, from the entire tournament and see our guards step up the way they did. Um, that was kind of the big takeaway, but you know, we did, we did a really good job. I thought of handling Rutgers physicality. Um, you know, I thought they really got in, got into us and really uh, tried to pressure the ball, tried to try to make things difficult. And we, we handled it well. Um, so we, you know, we, we were down early and then, you know, had a really good, really good comeback. And, you know, it's, it was, it was a good, a good pre tournament test in my opinion. It's good to have Frank back. I mean, just listen to those just stats roll off the tongue. Like it's no big deal. Oh, How good is it to have Frank back in the podcast? We miss you last time. Frank. I'm just reading them off a screen though. So I, it still takes yeah. something I can't do. I can barely read anything. So, I mean, you know, it's a plus Russ, what's your yep. thoughts, big guy? Sorry, Chris. <laughs> yeah, our, you know, our new most hated rival, um, we had to play them our first game of the tournament, which, you know, we talked about Michigan and Rutgers both kind of makes us nervous. But, um, you know, we got Rutgers when we got the job done. It wasn't pretty, which has kind of been the mantra in the Big Ten. And, you know, in keeping with my frustration, I, I think I've told you guys before, I don't know if we've mentioned it on here, my biggest frustration with Rutgers isn't just that they've had our number in the past few, past few years. 
It's that they aren't successful against other opponents. Like we are clearly the class of the Big Ten as of late, but and they can own us, but they can't succeed elsewhere. Case in point tonight, a Hofstra team that we beat by what 20 points, 19 points at home. They couldn't beat at home in the first game of the NIT. So I mean it's you it's hate just, to see it. Yeah. It's a tough look. It's tough. And especially with the Big Ten struggling in March the way they have in recent years, that's just not a great start. Uh, but mm-hmm. you know, we're gonna we're gonna prevail. Uh, we're not gonna we're not gonna let that trend continue for sure. Christopher, your thoughts. I definitely think that it was good to kind of get that anxiety and atmosphere for um games to get us ready for march um i definitely think you saw i mean there's a reason that david jenkins played a lot of that first half in that game against Rutgers because you could kind of tell Braden was a little bit sped up um but i think with that being said i think we're gonna be um focused up i mean everybody kind of knows the the perception of Purdue in March. So I think we have a team full of guys that want to change that perception and they're ready to do it. Yeah. And you mentioned, uh, we mentioned a couple names for that game too. We got to mention, you know, you, you spoke on it a little bit, but Mason Gillis has just seemed to step up at the right times. Like when Walter was on the show, we talked about these bench guys. And of course now he's worked his way back in the line, starting lineup, but um, these support guys outside of like Edie and Fletch, can they do it consistently and can they do it when we need it? And we obviously needed it in a close game for him to step up and have another 20 point game. So that was, that was huge. Yeah. Anytime Mason goes off, I get super excited because I just, I, I'm a big Mason Gillis guy. I think we're a big Mason Gillis podcast. So anytime he goes and has a, has a day, it's always a good thing uh, for all involved. So we'll leave that into Ohio state. Uh, big dub for the boiler, especially for me being a guy who's born and raised in Ohio, lives in Ohio. Anytime we beat Ohio State and really anything, uh, it's fun for me. And I get to talk. Ask a weaving win. Oh, okay. It was the best. So, Russ, go ahead. Big brain. Roll. Oh, well, we got. Can well, thank you, sir. Well, Appreciate oh, it. I gave you a compliment on accident. <laughs> Damn. So, this was uh, another ED game, right? Another 30 point ED game. It was just. It was all about, you know, he talked about in the postgame that he even mentioned PJ saying this is one of those nights you're just going to have to score 30. Um, you know, he basically was just not getting stopped down there, and they were playing decent on the perimeter against us. It was just they were seeing how how far could Edie go. Would he break? Would he run out of steam? And so we just kept feeding the big guy, and, you know, he carried us right across the finish line. So, Well, I'm going to play devil's advocate here. Yes, Edie had 32 points. He had 32 points on 25 field goals, which he I I felt he he shot through too many double teams and triple teams in that game. Edie could you know, have easily was, had 40 because he also missed like six bunnies. Yeah, yeah, and he was. I just, know, he shot uh, 11 free throws still on top of that. You know, so 11, 11 free throws. Yeah, I mean, but yeah. he it, he was he was clearly the path to victory in that game. Um, and and I, I feel like he did it against you know it's, uh, against Penn State too for a little bit of foreshadowing. But uh, I felt like you know he just he's a very competitive guy, right? And that he like so he wants to show that he can fight through these double teams and triple teams. And um, you know I I can admire that to a degree, uh, but also you know you just you gotta you gotta kick it out sometimes. And I mean yeah we we, we won the game. It's hard to hard to knock a what sixteen point or fourteen point win. 
Um, but that's really my only uh, only minor tweak I would make to the outcome of that game or to the performance of that game is just to tell Edie to pass it out just a little bit more. I'd probably say too, I'd be interested in knowing if some of it because Zed Key was not is obviously not playing and sensible, wasn't there? If the goal was to try and just draw a ton of fouls, which we ultimately kind of ended up doing anyway, because like half their team had four fouls. But you know what I'm saying? I wonder if he was going through those double and triple teams just to try and get to the free throw line. But obviously we're not in those conversations, so who knows? When we also had the stereotypical uh, guy who doesn't score a lot go five for six from three against Purdue as well. Um, you know, Roddy Gale went five for six from three, uh, which is absolutely crazy. And, you know, the first one goes in, you know, you think, okay, you know, like he, I think he'd made less than 23s, you know. I was going to say, isn't he that. like a 23% three-point shooter or something like that? He had one game. He had one game all year where he hit multiple three-pointers, and that was a two-for-three game against Eastern Illinois. Other than that, it's one three-pointer or none all year. Yeah. I mean, so you think, you know, he, you hit one, he, he hits one, okay, fine, you know, let him let him keep shooting. And then, like, man, like, he hit two, he hit three, he hit four. I think he hit his – he was four for four, wasn't he, at, what, at the start of the game? He got five to five. He had hit five. five, to five. Yeah. Yep. Of course. I mean – um, And I'm but, uh, just honestly, losing my mind while that's going on. I'm like, come on, dude. <laughs> like, I, I wasn't – I wasn't losing my mind at first. I wasn't concerned because I'm like, this guy is not going to keep hitting. But then he kept hitting, and so uh, you know he, so he we 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 capped it at five for five, and then he, you know he he went one more and went ended up five for six. But what a performance from him, honestly. I mean, he's going to have a really good future. And that's that team's going like, to have a really good future. I feel like you see those performances a lot in March. Is the guy that you know the shooting percentage just isn't there, but for some reason something clicks and just he decides now is a good time to go off and and for Especially some reason that plays Purdue. Yeah, exactly. And for some reason, that the basketball gods decide, hey, produce that team. You're going to go off on, buddy. Like, congratulations, you, you've done it. And then we we all scream in the group chat and lose our minds, and yeah, you know the, the fun particular yeah. stuff. <laughs> my my favorite moment, I think, of that game was right before halftime when David Jenkins got that high high ball screen and just right into a deep three. Mm-hmm. I, so so we we've kind of coined the term post loss Braden. I'm. I really want to patent, uh, you know, March time, David Jenkins Jr. Trademark. Like, David Jenkins Jr. in March is on another level. It, it's crazy. It's the headband, man. That's what it is. You yeah. break out that headband, you're a whole new player. And he's got, he's got, I didn't realize he's got five trophies just to himself. Mm-hmm. He's got, yeah. like, one regular season, two um, tournament titles from the CAA, I think. And then the two from this year, I was like, "Geez, damn!" He's well, he's you know he's he's played in the tournament. I think he said as a 16 seed. Um, he couldn't remember uh, what what exact seed he was, but it's like he's like I've been on the other end of this. He'll remember you know, this seed. So, so so cool for him, you know, to be in a in a situation where he's you know top dog, so to speak. Um, and he it was interesting in that same inter- interview he alluded to, you know, his role with the team being different than what he had expected. And so I wonder if, you know, he, him coming in, he was expecting more of a starting job or more of a scoring role. And, you know, it just didn't work out that way. But if there's one kind of underlying story to this year's team, that's it. It's just guys embracing their role. 
you know, and it's, it's, uh, it's, as long as you're winning, you know, that's, you know, so that you, and I'll you, be honest. Again, I think that that was a good assumption that he was going to have a starting role, but Brayden yeah. has played two years better than anybody really anticipated. Yeah. When, when I heard Braden and Fletcher were both starting uh, for the exhibition game, I thought it was like just for that game. Like I didn't realize that was going to be a, you know, a season long thing for both those guys. So, um, this painter rarely, I mean, painter rarely doesn't retro freshmen, let alone start them, especially when we have, you know, experience at that position. So I wonder um, if it was a conversation where, you know, painter basically explained what our guard situation was going into last year or this year. I mean, sorry, last off season, um, especially our point guard position. And at the time, you know, yes, we predicted Braden Smith was going to surprise people, but, I don't think many people would expect a freshman to step into the Big Ten as a point guard from the bat and play like he has. So there might have been a thought that he was going to be the veteran that kind of steers the first team, and then Braden gets his, you know, you know, gets his feet underneath him in the Big Ten and in NCAA Division One basketball. Um, but it didn't work out that way. Braden came out hot and you know stayed the claim on that job, and then you know someone had to run the second team, and so. David Jenkins couldn't really start next to him having to, you know, run the point guard when Braden's not on the floor. So, and that's kind of a, a good segue into something I kind of wanted to touch on was there's been a lot of push for, for Jenkins to start over lawyer um, going in the tournament. I'm not sure I agree. Um, I understand the appeal to it because we get off on some faster starts, but I think that right now we have two guys well, one guy, mainly Jenkins, you can say first a little bit too. He's kind of hit a little bit of a decent stride lately. But regardless, we've got a guy or two in that second rotation that can really carry that second rotation so it doesn't fall off compared to if you start lawyer or if you start Jenkins in place a lawyer, now there's such a drop off that sure, the game might start off hot and we might get a 15 point lead, but we might crash and burn when the second lineup comes in. Yeah, so I was going to bring that up, too, when we got to Penn State, just kind of how he struggled of late. If you go back to the Illinois game, the last four games, he is two of – sorry, doing quick math here – two of 12 from, from three-point land and just two of 20 from the field. So no, I think it was three of 40 and then went bananas in the tournament, I'm just saying. You know, and earlier in the season, you know, Fletch was that guy that, well, for the most of the season, and, and honestly, I would, I, I still believe this to be true, but he's that guy that you, you can't leave alone. You know, you can't, you can't get too far away from him because he's going to make you pay. And then he, you know, then he hits a couple threes, and then he's going to attack your closeout and take it to the rim. I mean, he's, he's an elite player. I'm not, I'm not concerned about him. Like, I'm, I'm really not. Um, and Chris, I agree with you completely. I think that, you know, David Jenkins coming off the bench is, is probably where he needs to stay also because he needs to be the guy to relieve Brayton too. Uh, you know, if he starts, if he starts at the two, which I know is where he's played the majority of his basketball career. Uh, I just don't understand like how, who are we point guard by committee at that point? I mean, that that's, I just, I think that, um, God forbid both your point cards get in foul trouble at the same time. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I just think that, uh, you know, he gives our, our second unit some leadership, some, some stability and, um, yeah, it was just it was it, it, if if you haven't watched the interview with him, I think it was on Boiler Upload. Uh, it's really really good. You know him talking after the game and how 
how cool this experience has been and how previous teams guys would get in arguments after losses and start blaming each other. And this team, it's like, let's get back to work. You know, and I want to like, I, I, I want to believe that's true. I have no reason to, to believe that it's not. Uh, so hopefully that is the case. I feel like a lot of painters teams are that way. Just painter recruits guys who are, you know, willing to sacrifice, you know, for each other, willing to to work with each other for the better of the team and not just, you know, individuals. So I, I think that's just an MO for for painter teams is as you know, they they don't really let's say they don't care about and, and yeah, yeah, high character guys. That's really a good way to sum it up is uh like Travion, I think is really good. Travion Williams is a really good, you know, uh uh example of that is a guy who could have transferred and gone on somewhere else but didn't stuck with it and had a good a great time while at purdue so i think that's you know that's a good omen to uh what painter go has going on at their purdue i was just gonna say real quick too don't forget i tweeted out that um david jenkins jr is only 11 points away from 2000 now oh that's right so, you know i would love to see him get it out of the way in the first round obviously against a 16 seed where we're probably gonna be favored by 20 to 30 points so we don't have to, you know, stress about him getting a shot or getting his, his, uh, his buckets. But, um, yeah, he's just eleven away from two thousand. So, knock on wood. I've listened to a lot of player interviews. Um, just you know, let him play in the background while I'm doing stuff. But he's mentioned David Jenkins Jr. has mentioned in almost every single interview this season about the camaraderie on the team, how everyone's close, how everyone's friends. And to me, that sort of implies that that's not the norm or that's, he hasn't experienced that on other teams. Cause you don't see guys that have been here for two years, three years to talking about that regularly. Maybe, be, maybe because they haven't known anything else. So that's, that is again, maybe a wild aspect. Yeah. Yeah. That was that, that, that was my interpretation of like him talking about that so much, you know, that like everyone's close on and off the court, everyone's friends, everyone hangs out. And that kind of like maybe implies that that's not what he's used to, that that's a, you know, a thing for him. And, you know, I don't know if anyone saw when they interviewed Braden after the the win, but he was mostly excited for the guys who have been here for a while, guys who have experienced the loss and experienced, you know, playing in that final um, Big Ten tournament game and losing, you know, and seeing like seeing how happy they were, like almost he was almost more happy for them than he was for himself. And that again, we just we have some pretty selfless guys. I love this team, man. Like I really do. Like every dude on this roster is just I'm such a there's. There's not a guy you look up and down this roster and you're like, eh, you know, they're all likable. They're all just just good dudes. They happen to be good at basketball. And they, there is very much a selflessness with the team that yeah. I like to see um, compared to other teams I've watched. Um, and in that, that same interview with Braden, uh, Russ, I, I believe you watched it. I love when people ask Braden uh, kind of snarky or backhanded questions because he 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 gives it right back to him. Oh yeah. And so you know uh, you know we'll I'm, I'm I'm sure we'll get to the the issues with the press or breaking the press or you know dealing with the press. But he was asked about that after the win and, and like you know celebrating the win. You know he's got the the piece of the net tied around his hat. Where we're talking about how how does it feel? You know what is this a dream come true and you know, someone sticks her head in and is like, what are you going to do about your issues with the press? And he's like, that's really hard when they put three guys on you. Like, and watch his face like, after he answers the question too. He's always got this little like, anyways, yeah. and then just turns the other direction. Like, yeah. Like, and, and he was hey, like, Braden, I don't know. Why do you guys <laughs> better later in the games at the beginning of the games? You know? Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. I, I, I almost want to put together a montage of like Braden Smith interview answers. Does anyone, anyone remember Jonathan Motley when with for Baylor when they asked how how they got uh, out rebounded by Harvard? That's a good. That's like, a classic. It reminds me of that. Oh, <laughs> and you bring it down after the missed shot, and that's a rebound. And they did that four <laughs> times than we did. Yeah. <laughs> Which I mean, why why ask a guy that? Why ask a guy that? I just I don't know. I don't. And like know. my thing too is like these media guys know like they have to know that the players understand that they had an issue with the press. It's like these humans on on uh on social media family friendly show chris yeah i know um (laughs) never mind um (laughs) it's the these people on social media they're like oh they need to go practice the press (laughs) i'm glad that you know that because i doubt that the guy who makes three and a half million dollars has been doing this since he was freaking 12 i (laughs) thought of that idea I, I think I said in the thread too. Um, we are average people. We aren't D one athletes. We maybe Speak played some high yourself. school basketball, <laughs> and we're sitting there watching the game. Yeah, okay. <laughs> let's hit the court sometime, gentlemen. Let's see how. No, it's not. We won't uh, make it. Right, but uh, no, we're sitting there going, "Don't get the ball in the corner. Why are you passing the ball into the corner?" And it's like we get mad and go, "Painter needs to coach better." They're getting the ball in the corner, and it's. We're sitting there as average people, knowing you don't put the ball in the corner. So you think Painter hasn't said that at some point? You think Painter says, hey, guys, pass it to the corner. That's the first pass. When you break in the press, that's the best will, way to break a press. I, no. I will play devil's advocate. This is the thing I've thought of. Okay. What if that's Painter's coaching? Maybe Painter's like, they're not expecting to go to the corner. Get it to the corner and kick it to the middle. I'm not saying that's what it is, but – What's the one thing that you're going to do that is going to throw everybody off? Do what they don't expect. Because they're not expecting you to throw it in the corner, so they're going to lay off of that guy, and then you can reverse around it, where if you... Obviously, it's not worked out, but what I'm saying is that that I'm not completely convinced because of Painter's big brain that he's not doing some some wild stuff. Because obviously... We keep throwing it to the corner, and we can't screw that up so many times that either Painter's a really crappy coach when it comes to the press, or this is there's a plan to it. There's a reason behind it. Um, Frank's got a better memory on coaching talk and the interviews and the coaches show, so maybe he'll remember this. But I, I feel like Painter has mentioned a couple times that one of our issues with breaking the press is we don't get the ball to the guy in the middle of the court especially like kind of our side of the half court. Like he has mentioned that you've got to find that guy. You can't get in a hole facing the wrong direction with the basketball and not be able to see that guy and get him the ball. So I I remember him. He has talked about that a little bit as far as his strategy for breaking a press is using that guy in the middle to kind of distribute and find the It's like breaking a zone. You have a guy flash the middle to kick it there and then produce it, produce it out there. Like you would have a guy run into the free throw line to break the press or break a zone. Well, in his in his interview after the game, um, yeah, of course that was you know again Penn State pressed nine times and we turned it over once, um, so like uh, I don't um, we did struggle breaking it we did make it harder than it needed to be but you know he basically said that you know we're just not being fundamentally sound this is the term that he used you know not jump stopping not not finding the guy in the middle not making easy passes making it harder on ourselves but 
I feel like the average person doesn't understand how mentally, ex- I, I don't understand. Uh, I've just heard Painter talk about it, but how mentally exhausting a press is and especially playing a full game of basketball and being pressed at the end of a game of basketball. Like go run up and down the street for 15 minutes and then have people, you know, have two or three guys stand and trap you in a corner and try to try to find someone. You know, just like it's mentally and physically exhausting. That's why you see Purdue. I mean, just looking back at previous game, like Iowa pressed 34 times. And it, did, it wasn't a problem in the first half because the guys were still mentally, physically sharp at that point. But it didn't become a problem until late in the second half. And presses wear you down. That's, that, that's what they're designed to do. They're designed to turn you over. They're designed to make it difficult to get the ball up the court. I mean, and, and you know, comparatively speaking, Purdue is not terrible against the press. We're actually in you know, the 89th percentile in D1 of teams against scoring against the press. And you know, as far as turnovers go, we're only turning it over about 17 17% of the time, which I think the D1 average last time I checked earlier today was 21%. So we're not turning it over as often as most teams do. And we're scoring in the 89th percentile against the press. Like it's, it's yes, turnovers look bad, but it's not, it's not this kryptonite or the Achilles heel like everyone, you know, thinks it is. Transition defense, totally different story. But those two kind of go hand in hand sometimes. The Twitter coaches are always going to be on their high horse and, you know why aren't they throwing the orange ball through the orange hoop? Like that's what it was. They got no, no, no crap. Like look at that. Anyway, yeah, no, they so were. They've the, been on a plentiful on on old Twitter.com. The last note I'll make on the press too is is like you talked about. We're actually in a good percentile against the press, and we talk about how Painter makes millions of dollars. We need to trust him to coach the guys to do what you know is the best way for us to win the game or break the press. Well. We also play against teams that have coaches that get paid millions of dollars to coach basketball. And you would think if they looked at the numbers and said the best way to beat Purdue is press them all game, that they would do that. But they don't because they know that the numbers will not work in their favor. So they do it late in the games. And just like when we miss a free throw late in the game, we sit there and go, wow, we got to work on our free throw shooting. When we could have been 18 or 21 in the game, but we missed two of the last three free throws. You know, you're going to remember that turnover late in the game against the press. You're not going to look at how we did against the press as a whole. Amen. Yeah, if uh, if a guy misses a free throw and, you know, two minutes into the game, you go, come on, man, clean that up. You know, and then – but if it's if there's 30 seconds to go and we're up by two and he misses that free throw, it's, you know, what are you doing? It just caught, you know, that – so it timing, timing is everything. You know, if we have – if we're up 20 and we turn the ball over against the press and they get an easy layup and transition, you're just like, all right, don't let that happen again. You know, but if it happens at the end of the game, it seems a lot more impactful. Um, you know, that's just humans being human. I mean, that, that's, that's just the way we, we interpret those things. But yes, you're right. You know, teams were, uh, you know, these teams are coaches or coached by coaches, but who get paid millions of dollars and who know how to design a press and, you know, coach a press. And we're in a situation where teams are having to press to beat us out of desperation. That's a good place to be. So, you know, I don't think we'll necessarily be in that situation come sweet 16 elite a time. Fingers crossed. We should add a feature to this podcast that anytime Frank's big brain says you're right on something, you get to put a little like tally in your box. And then oh, like, uh, uh What's that ESPN show that does around that? the horn? Around the horn, yeah. yes, yeah. that's a good, that's a good point. Because if, if Frank, like you said, Frank says, "Hey, you're right," that's like a badge of honor. You wear that, you'd be proud yeah, of that, sir. Russ. Congratulations, sir. <laughs> <laughs> so, do we want to go on to the uh, 
there's a, there's a game against Penn State, I think, where some trophies were handed out and confetti flew and happy times were had. Yes, sir, there was. Word on the that screen. was a that was a fantastic game. Uh, you know, again, another another great showing from David Jenkins. Again, uh, you know, he had a had eleven. Uh, it, it just you know, Edie Edie went off that you know 30, 30 points on seventeen shots. You can't argue with that, but. What I think is the most interesting thing about that game was how we've managed to shut down Jalen Pickett three times now. Like, I mean, he he has not had a good game against us, period. I, I, I mean, he was angry. Been, he was not happy from the get-go. Yeah. Yeah, especially yeah, toward the end. He was, he was yelling at the refs, like not, not casually talking to them, like raising his voice at the refs on calls and no calls. And, yeah, that was uh, – I, he, he's usually a pretty even keel guy. I, I have a lot of respect for him. He's a great player. Um, but I, I, yeah, I was surprised to see that from him. Um, but I mean, he, what he was, uh, four for 13 from the field with only 11 points. I mean, that's a good day on Jalen Pickett, in my opinion. Like if you can, if you can make him go four for 10, that's, that's a solid outing like defense defensively. Yeah. I think, uh, I think it was interesting seeing again, I'm just this whole weekend kind of proved it again. I'm really impressed with how well Brandon Newman's playing defense. Um, kind of going along with Jalen Pickett. That kid was stuck to him like glue the whole time. It was great to see. Um, and I think that it was good to see this team blow a 17 point lead and how they respond because of it. Um, I'm I'm a huge proponent of especially late in the season, stressing the crap out of your team. Yeah. Be blowing leads or fighting back from getting down or or whatever. And we kind of had a little bit of all of it in in the Big Ten tournament. You know, we got down, what, 10 or 12 to Rutgers. We had a kind of a runaway win in Ohio State, and then we blew a 17-point lead. So we kind of had a little bit of a mix of everything that gave the opportunity to kind of go through everything we might see um, in the – in the NCAA tournament. So I I was happy with the weekend, and obviously we got all the hardware and stuff too, which is plus. I concur. And check. Good job, Russ. Hey, hey, Russ. Hey, good job. Great insight. So so as a group, how are we feeling about the, the big dance? Purdue got a number one seed. Um, thinks, what is that, the second time we've gotten a number one seed? Uh, I think it's I think it's like fourth. Yeah, I think it's okay. Because we got I think once in the eighties, twice in the nineties, yeah, oh. something like that. Yeah. But yeah, I've I've seen everything. You know, I, I I read a lot. I look at a lot of websites and you know listen to podcasts and stuff. And you know, I saw this the this company that was advertising this this simulation service. So you, you could go on their website. You could pay seventy dollars. And what it would do is it would run these simulations of brackets like millions of times and tell you who wins the most often. Um, but they gave out a little a little bit of information before you bought it. And the one bit of information they gave is that <clears throat> Purdue was the number one seed who won the tournament mo most often uh, in all their simulations. But if you wanted to get the rest of the picks, you had to you had to pay seventy dollars. I'm like, man, to win your work bracket pool, that's really weird. Like that's a weird thing to do, but. And, and then, and then, you know, 
because it's always the person that doesn't even watch college basketball that wins the office bracket pool. Everyone knows. Oh, that. yeah. Well, seeing we don't need to pay the $70, we have Frank. So when I when I bet on a game or bet on a prop and, you know, I'm like, yeah, you know, I, here's my reason for taking this this bet. You know, this guy has been rebounding at a really high level lately and the team he's playing is gives up a lot of offensive rebounds. And, and, and many you know, my wife will look at it and be like, oh, I know him. Yeah, I like him. And then she wins more often than I do. It's crazy. Yeah, my wife is crazy. more of the uh, I like their outfits kind of lady. You know, yeah. <laughs> their uniforms are pretty. So I'm going to go. So with you them. both like uniforms. You have that in common. Exactly. Yeah. You know, why do you think she married a stooge like me, Russ? <laughs> it is always the guy or the guy or the, the girl is like, you know, I've, I've 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 heard of that school. Yeah, I'll 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 pick them. Yeah. Yeah. Or like, no, yeah, my, my, my cousin went to Boston College. Yeah, I'll go ahead and you know pick them in this game and that they're the ones who, yeah, who do do better. And and it, it, it's hard for me to fill out a bracket because I I want so badly to see, you know, Purdue in the in the championship. And it, who knows? This this year could be the year. I mean, you know, no one thought we were going to the Elite Eight the year that we did. And so I I'm just I'm I just look at all the teams in our region and I just get scared. So there's a, there's a lot of good teams in there, you know. Um, Memphis scares me. I'm 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 scared about Memphis. They but I will play devil's advocate. Points. Those other teams are looking at us and saying that they're nervous too. Agreed. I just you know from from a play style standpoint, Memphis, um, you know they they score I think 23 percent of their points in transition, and we're one of the worst transition defenses in D1. Like statistically, we are terrible at defending transition. So that's a game where we could get into a, a you know, a shootout type of game with Memphis. Um, so, you know, they, they, they look to turn you over. They look to, to score quick off of turnovers. And that's just like a kryptonite for a team with young guards. Like that's, that's bad. Um, so that, that matchup scares me than the potential next matchup, you know, between what would be Duke, Oral Roberts, Tennessee, or Louisiana. So and I've heard every expert pick uh, upsets for both of those games too. So, um, but I do feel like the East region is pretty stacked though, as a whole, uh, comparatively speaking. Uh, there, you know, we're gonna have to we're gonna have to grind our way uh, to a final four this this year for sure. I will say yeah. that uh, Memphis doesn't have anybody over six ten, and the way right. to to stop a transition team is just score the ball so you just give it to Edie and just let him lay it in because i've saw one guy at 610 one guy at 69 and i think the rest are like 66 i love that's how we look at things like oh those guys are short they're only 610 <laughs> that's yeah. that's where purdue basketball is at like yeah try 74 610 is like short well, don't even worry about it i'm playing against a guy in stilts leave me alone. <laughs> not only a guy in stilts but a guy that's 300 pounds on stilts I did hear a talking head today said all you got to do is pressure Purdue's guards and they won't be able to get the ball into Edie. So I'm like, well, that yeah. Lots of teams have tried that. Oh um, no, they figured it out every single game this season to some to some extent, like starting from the first game, and that hasn't really worked. So good good luck with that. Yeah, I know. You know, you said it's stacked, and obviously you can look at the East Region and say it's stacked because you know what we talked about five of the top. 14 teams as far as odds to win the national championship are in our bracket, which is the most as far as the top teams go. Um, but you can also look at it and say, well, Tennessee's a little depleted. They're not the same team post 
post some injury issues. You know, Duke is having a down year by Duke standards, plus to have a first-year coach. So first-year head coach in the NCAA tournament, you know, you know, might might be a little bit flaky. And they're also picked to be upset by Oral Roberts by a lot of people. You know, Kansas State is not even one of those top five, six. I think they're seventh or eighth best odds to make it out of our region of all the teams. And they're the three seed. And then, of course, Marquette, we've already beat this year. You know, so on one hand, you can look at it and say, hey, it is pretty stacked. On the other hand, you know, I, I'm with you. I think Memphis is the scariest matchup of the bracket. You know, I, I I think that that's where we could find some trouble, like you said, with the guard pressure. But, you know, we've we know how to beat a Duke. We've got history with Tennessee and we've beat them recently. You know, we beat Marquette this season. You know, I, I just I think Memphis, if we get through Memphis, I think it obviously sets up pretty well for us. But it set up pretty well for us last year and we saw what happened. So. Well, and, you know, yes, this is this is, you know, a potential you know, we're playing a potential eight seed or a nine seed, but both of these teams, you know, Memphis is 19th in Ken Palm, Florida Atlantic's 22nd. You know, so these are two really good teams, you know, so the, like, for example, Kentucky's 28th, you know, so like if, if we hypothetically played Kentucky, you know, that they're, they're a lower rank in Ken Palm than our second game. So this is, you know, this is an interesting draw here. Um, you know, and, and I, I, I'll admit, I don't know a ton about Florida Atlantic. Um, I've heard they're really good shooters and they have some a lot of experienced guards. That's all I know, but um, I'm hoping they can beat Memphis because uh, I feel more confident about that game than I would playing a Memphis team. That's the thing about the tournament is, you know, we sit there and stress and stress and stress about Memphis. FAU could beat them in the first round and we aren't even, you know, our bracket looks completely different. You know, last year you you wouldn't have thought we'd play St. Peter's in the Sweet 16, you know, but that's no, how it broke down, no. you know. so No, no one did. You know, it's I, I I think of Painter, I think he was referring to the Big Ten tournament, and it was referring to, you know, when you play on the the Friday, you're playing a team that's already played two or three games. So that's rough to try to get up with them when they're maybe gelling well and playing well. But guess what? They'd still rather be in our position. You know, mm -hmm. it's it, it's tough to win any tournament environment. You're going to look at, especially it's, a na it's the national championship tournament. So it's going to be stacked. And once you get past the first weekend, you're basically down to, you know, teams that either win the top 25 or probably receiving votes, you know, so you're going to have to win five really tough games to, to win it all. So it's, it's just, that's, that's the way it goes. One thing I always found interesting and I want to know your guys' opinion is people think if you lose early in your conference tournaments, you get some rest, which helps you in the tournament. Do you guys think that applies? Because, you know, Purdue made it all the way, but I, I don't know. I think if, if you're warm and ready, I think is better than if you're rested. And then I think our guys are pretty ready at the well many times. But I just want to know your guys' thoughts on that. So I've used that personally. I've used that as like sort of a mental justification when Purdue loses early in the Big Ten tournament. I think ah, it doesn't matter. It's just a silly tournament. Yeah, I will rest up. I was reading last night and there's actually a pretty strong correlation with how teams do in their conference tournament and how they do in the, in the you know, the, 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 the big dance and no team that's failed to reach the quarterfinals in their conference tournament has gone to the final four. It's never happened. Oh, wow. Um, so that automatic, who, who does that eliminate? If I, if I remember right, it was Kansas, Kentucky. Um, there were, there were two others that no, were automatic final game. Didn't they? They lost yeah. in the championship game. Kansas uh, I'm sorry. I misspoke. Kansas state, not Kansas, uh, Kansas state. Yeah. Gotcha. Kansas state, Kentucky. 
uh, there are two more that would automatically be eliminated if you if history holds true. Yeah, um, Baylor and UConn. I looked it up last night. Uh, I had to go through lots of Frank's uh, big brain track. forgot something. Oh my god! Mark yeah, I did. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it did. It did forget something. But that's that. That was an interesting thing. Um, but it, it seems that it seems that that momentum from a conference tournament does in fact carry over. Um, now that's that, that is what's happened in history. That doesn't mean that's going to continue. That doesn't mean that, you know, the, this year that we can't have the first team who didn't make the quarterfinals, you know, win a national championship. Um, but that was just an interesting thing uh, that I decided to look into. Um, but yeah, so yeah, that's, so my, my opinion on that in the last 48 hours has actually flipped. Uh, so if you'd asked me that two days ago, I would have said, ah, you know, take the rest. But yeah, I wish and hearing that too, I would agree. I wish the Big Ten tournament would be earlier too. I don't know why it has to be like like selection show starts as the Big Ten tournament finishes. Yeah, I hate that. that is, it drives me crazy. I never even thought yeah. about that. But yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, but you, you mentioned resting up for the NCAA tournament. We already have four days off. You know, we, we won the championship and we have – Monday through Thursday off before we play again Friday. And we, during the season, you know, we play, you know, what, four games in nine days, you know, so, and Painter has, has talked about before that it's, it's sometimes tough to come back after a longer layover. So, but yeah. I will say doing it in January is a lot different than doing it in March. Yeah. I mean, everybody thinks that some of the, that lawyers hitting a freshman fatigue wall. And I mean, I'm not completely against that thought because his threes are short. I mean, maybe his legs are coming out for a moment. Or I don't know what it is. I think it'll come back. But that being said, um, now I just, I don't know, whatever. I am I think the conference tournaments are stupid, but that's just my own personal opinion. Chris hates fun. That's what it is. No, it's not Since that I hate like fun. <laughs> it's just, it's a no, it's a, it's, it's He's kind of like the Pro Bowl to me. Is that like it's like you're risking guys? What it, look at Houston Sasser, where he pulled his groin. Oh, um, yeah. Look at what if freaking uh, Edie on that hook and hold against Penn don't State say, that didn't get don't called. Say, don't d- knock on you know, wood. That's what I'm just saying. Is like there's just <laughs> there's no benefit to that type of tournament that other than. It's just a money grab. Well, my my biggest thing about the tournament is that, like I think it's necessary because it's an opportunity for teams like this year, for example, Minnesota, Nebraska, Ohio State to get to you the tournament. You had twenty where, games to get there. Yeah, that that's that is true. Uh, however, the issue with these tournaments is for teams that are at the top, like Purdue this season, um, you have very little to gain by winning and a lot to lose by losing. So, and I, I hate those types of games where it's like, you know, Purdue was kind of on that, like last number one seed, first number two seed situation and winning against Rutgers, Ohio state, Penn state may not have boosted us up that much, but a loss would have probably cemented us as a two, you know? So it's like, you're having, you're having to fight to maintain, but not to gain anything. You know, and that's, you know, and that I've, you know, a certain popular, you know, YouTube channel, uh, podcast platform said that, you know, Purdue's 
in trouble because they didn't play anyone good in the, in the Big Ten tournament, as if that's Purdue's fault. You know, we played Ohio State, who beat Michigan State and Iowa, two Big Ten ter- or two NCAA tournament teams. Um, you know, Rutgers, who a lot of people thought should have been an NCAA tournament team after losing to Hofstra tonight. Seems like the selection committee made the right decision there. You know, and then Penn State, who, you know, knocked off IU, a four seed, who is a tournament team themselves. I mean, come on. It just, come on. It, it, it It's just silly. So f- for that reason, I also like the tournament. So I'm kind of torn is the big takeaway on how I feel about the tournaments. Um, just since we like to, you know, play the game where you pick a player or pick somebody, um, I'm going to pose the question that, you know, Edie's the obvious answer, but if you picked a player on this roster that is going to make his name on this run, uh, who, who do you think it will be? You know, have the Ryan Klein type of run in this tournament. Newman. You know, suppose, you know obviously, assuming we make like the Elite Eight or deeper or whatever. What would you say, Chris? Newman. I think that he is um, he's set up to do it. I think he's got his confidence back, and I think he's going to be uh, – be ready to roll. I think that I think there'll be one game where he'll be maybe not quite like Ryan Klein, um, not quite like the uh, you know banging threes out all over the place. But I think he's going to do it on the defensive end. I think that when we need a big steal to lock down in the Sweet Sixteen against Duke, you know he tips the ball away or something, you know, crazy like that. I just think that there's, I think. He does it, but I don't think it's going to be offensive. I think it'll be defensive. Yeah, he gives he gives our team a different kind of dynamic in that he's he can be that pick six guy. And he, I mean, he and he he's shown it too. His first start, I mean, he was, I think he what did he have three steals for layups? I mean, it just you know that that type of aggressiveness. You know, I'm definitely not knocking on Ethan Morton, but he doesn't have that necessarily. Ethan Morton's a great defender, um, but he's more of a you know, uh, uh, as he, he's not as aggressive as Brandon Newman is. He, he's not going to hawk the ball like Brandon Newman's been doing. And Brandon Newman's been shooting the ball well, too. Um, so I, I, I like that pick. I think it could be a combination of him, you know, and, and, and David Jenkins also. Just, you know, David Jenkins with his experience, you know, postseason and his just experience in college basketball overall, um, I think could definitely be a guy who steps up and, you know, make some big plays. I'd like to see Lawyer kind of uh, kind of get out of this little scoring rut he's in. And it's strictly that, a scoring rut and nothing else. It's He's been doing everything else really well. He's been defending well. You know, uh, so I'm, uh, I, yeah, I'm, I, I, I agree with your, uh, your Brandon Newman and I'll, I'll lump in David Jenkins with that. And I also think, and we kind of just talked about rest, but I kind of want to bring it up. Brandon Newman sat on the bench for four months. I mean, now you're bringing him into the starting role and he looks like he's just like a jackrabbit. He's running around all over the place, you know, where maybe not the guys are, are, are noticeably tired, but he brings an energy that I think we just didn't have, especially in the defensive side of the ball. Frank, Dylan, you got different guys you're thinking break out in this tournament? I mean, I personally, I'd like to see Newman. I just, I think Newman's a great guy, and I think he's a great player, and I think he has the ability to have a, a few, at least a couple breakout games. So, uh, so yeah, I'd like to see Brandon Newman just have uh, his, uh, you know, time of time, time to shine. 
Frank, anybody? No? Oh, no. I mean, I, I added in my David Jenkins pick. So, um, yeah. So, um, the guy I was going to pick uh, is Braden Smith. You know, I, I think that, you know, we've talked about post loss Braden. We've talked about, you know, how he came into this season here in all offseason. We don't have a point guard. And now he's hearing about the freshman wall, you know, and especially with Lawyer hitting it. We're hearing about the freshman wall. And he's quietly played quite well of late, too. You know, throughout the Big Ten tournament, he was very, very solid. And I think he's a little ticked off about, obviously, the press talk. Um, ticked off about, you know, these kids are on Twitter now. They're on, you know, all the social media, seeing not just what's on TV, but people clipping what's on TV about Purdue's not going to go far because of their guard play. You know, we even talked about how we're nervous against Memphis because of, you know, freshman guard play against a team that pressures very well and plays well in transition offense. So I, I think Braden is going to play with a chip on his shoulder this tournament and like he has something to prove, which he does. But I, I really think he has a big tournament. So, uh, Russ, like you said, I think it was you to brought up the Twitter questions. Uh, we have a couple questions. One from an ultimate boiler. I don't know if anyone's ever... Who's that guy? Heard, yeah, I don't know who the who an ultimate boiler is. And he likes really. wrestling. Yeah, it sounds like a wrestling fan. Anyway, yeah. his his question is, with only picking one Purdue player that isn't Zach Eady, who would be on the first team, who would be on your first team all Big Ten starting lineup? I'll start. Um, yeah. I'm going to pick Ethan Morton because, uh, you know, not everyone can be a high-level scorer on a, on a team. It's just not feasible and he does everything he does everything to, to help you win so i would pick ethan morton and i'm gonna go with the other guy who does everything and mason gillis that's who i almost picked yeah that was that was gonna mason was gonna be my pick the thing that i love to see during the big 10 tournament is just this streak of white flying to the board to get the <laughs> rebound i'm like who's oh it's mason never mind <laughs> Yeah, I'd also go with Mason. And if not Mason, the guy I just talked about, Braden. You know, I think Braden Smith was instrumental. You know, we talked about, you know, the freshman of the year award always goes to some guy that overproduces on a team that's not as talented. But it's it's not said enough, even as much as mentioned in our circles with Purdue, how crucial Braden and Fletch were to our run this year as freshmen in the Big Ten, true freshmen in the Big Ten. So Braden Smith to come in, and obviously he was on their all freshman team and received all honorable all mention mention all Big Ten. It was a mouthful. Um, you know, I, I think that if I had to pick somebody else from Purdue on an all Big Ten team, I'd, I'd want Braden in my corner. Uh, I think uh, I thought we had another one, another question from Twitter. Paul asks, "Will Purdue be sellers or buyers in the portal?" He wasn't specific on sports, so I think should we just go with basketball? I'm just going to say basketball. Yeah, we'll go with basketball. We kind of had this conversation already. I don't think, I don't, I think we go after a point guard and we talked about how close knit this team is. I don't know if these guys want to break that up. This could be an entire episode. Yeah. This, yeah. We might have to shelve this. Stay tuned. Yeah. Yeah. Quick answers now, and we'll plan to do a, uh, an episode on it at the, uh, after the season, after April 3rd. Yeah. Um, well, and, and so the, the biggest, the biggest kind of determining factor in this is what, what a certain seven, four 
player decides to do. <laughs> um, you know, uh, Purdue has a luxury of having a very talented and also very deep front court. So um, I'm not sure what that is. It's like the Brady Bunch, but none of us know where to point. <laughs> Russ, Russ is perfect. <laughs> We've got Caleb first, you know, a top 30 player. Trey Kaufman ran another top 30 player, uh, you know, coming out of high school. Uh, we've got William Berg next season. We've got Cam Heidi. Um, you know, we have a lot of guys in the front court. Um, if anybody, was, I could see Heidi leaving. It, it just, it, I mean, honestly, like we we are in the era of NIL. We are in the era of you know not having to sit out a season when you transfer. Uh, you know, transferring becoming easier and easier. I want to believe. I truly want to believe that these guys truly have bought in and have truly just embraced their role. And I don't care if I play two minutes or 40 minutes as long as we're winning, but you know, human beings are human beings. And I guarantee you there are some guys on the bench who are, who are disgruntled right now. Yeah. Yeah, sure. You know, we're, we're winning, but you know, they feel like they can contribute more. And I wouldn't be shocked to see uh, one or two guys go and try to, you know, find more minutes elsewhere. And, you know, it's, it's just, it's, it's a bad situation for them, but also a good situation. And the fact that, you know, we are winning, but you know, you're playing behind in all likelihood, the national player of the year, he should be getting the majority of minutes right now. If you want Purdue to win. I mean, Zach Eady is the highest percentage shot in college basketball. I mean, I don't know that's not a fact. I'm just paraphrasing here, but you know, the, he got like it's top five at least been, for percentage. It's, and, and, and Painter said it's, it's the most difficult part about his job to only let Trey Kaufman run play nine minutes because he's, he's a great player and he's not getting to showcase that because he's playing behind Zach Eady. And it's, it's super unfair to a guy like Caleb. I mean, Tom Izzo basically was trying to recruit him in his post-game press <laughs> conference speech. You know, it's like, oh, Caleb first could go to any other team and probably be their leading scorer, but he's fine. You know, only taking two shots, you know, here. At, at, at Back Purdue. off Izzo. Yeah. Uh, but, but, but he's right. They, you know, that, that, that's the thing. So I, I hope no one leaves. Um, but uh, I, I think I think if Edie stays, we're a mixture of buyers and sellers. Um, we we probably do need another backup point guard. I don't think Colvin's really a point guard, um, so that kind of just leaves Braden. I know Ethan has run the point, but I, I like him at the the kind of two three hybrid. So um, TBD is the long answer or the short answer on that. But it's a very very complicated answer, one that we could we could do an entire episode about, honestly. Yeah, I, I think the other major factor is what happens over the next three weekends you know what how close do we get do we do we raise a banner and then how hard is it for guys to not want to run it back you know is it does it leave such a bitter taste that those guys on the bench that are already bitter say i'm out of here or is it so close or as far as you can get and we raise a banner and they say let's make history and do it again you know the, the front court obviously keep... oh sorry i thought you were no, i was gonna say the front court's the obvious that's the selling part of the team. You know, if you're talking about selling in terms of who who do we, you know, give up or who we lose in NIL, because the front court is just so loaded. Um, the back court is, you know, where we do still need to address something. Now, Braden can be a 30-minute plus guy next year. I have no doubt about that, but you know, you can't just bank on him being the only point guard on the team for sure. Yeah, that's just that's that's a recipe for disaster. And I truly think that if we get to Houston and don't win it. Or hell, even if we get to the Elite Eight and don't get to Houston, I think that that will keep a lot of guys around. 
more than winning it all. Because I think you have you have situations kind of like you do in the NFL. You know, who's the biggest team that's lost free agents are the Chiefs because that always happens after a Super Bowl. You know, so I think that I think if we do win it, I think we have more of a chance of losing guys because they'll be like, I was on national championship team, you know, compared to the the inverse. Everyone wants that's, to win. That, that's the hardest part of college sports is that, you know, when you win, your players either go pro or, you know, or they think they can, you know, they want to go, they want to go elsewhere, you know, um, and that's, that's just the unfortunate nature of it. But, you know, regardless, we have a, we have a, just a terrific pipeline of guys coming in, you know, in future years. Um, and I have full confidence, regardless of what happens in the transfer portal, that Purdue is going to be fine. Um, I did get to see Jack Benter play. The kid is unbelievable. I mean, he is a Purdue player through and through. Just com- extremely unselfish, can shoot the lights out. I mean, and the most impressive thing to me from uh, seeing him play was his passing. Like, he was making unreal passes. Um, so he's going to be a fun player uh, to, to see develop. Uh, probably a redshirt guy, but, you know, he needs to, needs to bulk up a little bit. But um, just, just a terrific all-around player. Uh, plays really hard, diving on the floor, playing really good defense. He's going to be a fun guy to watch. So the the future is bright, regardless, regardless of what happens. Speaking of guys that bulk up, I sent that photo in our group chat earlier today of Edie in high school, and I hadn't realized how much muscle he's put on. You know, since being you know at uh, it was it IMG, yeah, it was IMG, yeah, IMG. It's it's insane how paint and and the um, you know weight staff and and nutritionists and the whole team can develop these guys and Edie's just really bulked up the last few years. He took offense to, I think it was Chris who said Haas was our Drago. He goes, I can put on muscle too. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, I think we can end things with this. Uh, Next we have Texas. Are we Purdue plays the winner of Texas Southern and FDU? I'm not going to even try and pronounce FDU's name because it's difficult. There you go. So, uh, Frank, we'll start it with you. Uh, what are your thoughts on, on those two possible matchups for the Boilers? Well, um, we have Texas Southern, who is ranked 285th in Ken Palm. And where is Fairly Dickinson? Did those they numbers are, hurt, Chris? They're like 331. Yeah. Uh, so, the 312th. So, neither one of these teams have a winning record. Um, Texas Southern is 14 and 20 fairly Dickinson's 19 and 15. I mean, we could, we could get into the specific stats, but I just think that probably speaks enough. I mean, this is a game that if we can't win, we shouldn't be in the tournament. I mean, we, we don't, that we don't deserve to be in the tournament. So, um, as Russ said earlier, you know, I expect regardless of who, who, um, we play that we should be favored by double digits, probably 20, a lot, uh, in this matchup. I'm excited to see how these teams prepare for Zach Eady because I doubt any of these conferences have a 7'4", 300-pound, you know, absolute beast in Unit. the paint. Yeah, so it's, I, I'm really interested to see how these dudes triple, quadruple, you know, do anything they can to try and stop Eady. That's going to be interesting for me. Well, and so, you know, when looking at Texas Southern really quick, I mean, they they don't have – they do, they do start to 6'9 guys. Uh, and they're both seniors, um, but 
um, they, they actually start for seniors. Um, yeah, but they're so 200 and 220 pounds. Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm just saying they, they, they have a lot of experience there. So they're, they're one, they're one of the worst shooting teams in the country. They're 336 in effective field goal percentage, 357th in three point percentage. Uh, they, they turn the ball over one out of five possessions, which is absurd. I mean, they're, they just, and that other team, uh, fairly Dickinson, fairly Dickinson, the tallest guy in their starting lineup is 6-6. So short. I mean so these this this is the equivalent of like, you know, the first or second game of the season by game type of, you know, uh game that 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 we're we're looking at here. You no know, disrespect to those teams. In, no, 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 not, not at all. But, you know, they're this is this is like a legitimate like by game that that we're going to be walking into here. You know, just looking at Fairleigh Dickinson, they're 361st in defense. You know, so that that's terrifying. Like they like that. I mean, just I've, we we haven't seen a team that bad defensively all season. So that should be a game where we just run through the building, in my opinion. You know, <laughs> hello, Chris's cat. What's your cat's name, Chris? What are we? Donner. Oh, shout out. Yeah, Chris. If I'm right, their tallest guy was what six six. Yeah. So yeah, six so, um, six two nineteen. Uh, an Ethan Morton size guy trying to guard Zachy. Uh, yeah, okay. Get him a ladder. Um, <laughs> Get him a ladder. You know, as, as Rafferty says when he gets the ball on the low post, say good night. I mean, it's gonna be yeah. they're gonna be saying good night in the first half only, and that's you know nothing else. It, it's yeah. that's yeah. If Edie has to play the second team. half, I'm gonna be upset. Yeah, I was gonna say Edie yeah. may just rest the whole second half. Why not? I'm okay with that. Yeah, I'm cool. And, with that. And, that game is it. 6:40 tomorrow on uh True TV if anybody wants to tune into that. True TV still a thing. Yeah. That's like yeah, the time of year you got to go crap. Yeah, I was about to say yeah. like, I, I think every year I say, "Oh, True TV still a thing and it's always this time of year." <laughs> like, "Oh, Spike TV 2.0." The old retired folks who are going to be pissed off that their soaps aren't going to be on <laughs> cuz it's just basketball. Ah! <laughs> Sorry, Russ. <laughs> so, I think I think I think we should wrap with one just thought-provoking question okay. that I just love to get love to get your all's opinions like on. I have to use my brain. Well, you uh. know, so like we, you always, you always hear like you want to be hot, you want to be playing your best basketball, you know, going into March. Um, He's so. So hot I guess right my now. question is: is are we playing our best basketball? Is Purdue playing their best basketball right now? And if not, when were we playing our <laughs> best basketball? So, Russ, what do you think? That's that's tough because obviously the natural answer is, you know, when we went up to the Northwest and, you know, beat two really good teams in Gonzaga and Duke handedly and made that rise to number one. But, you know, the competition in the Big Ten keeps getting trashed and the depth in the Big Ten keeps getting trashed. But, you know, those were some hot teams that we handled. And I, I would say handled even in Penn State's case, even with their their comeback late, because we were up, what, 17? And pretty much coasting. And, yeah, then we started to play with some minutes a little bit. Edie was in and out. You know, we didn't maybe take that game as seriously down the stretch as we should have. So I, I would say that we're, we're firing the way we would want to be going into March, even though most of the fans don't see it that way. I do think that, 
you know, you talk about guys like, you know, Smith is not hitting the freshman wall. You know, David Jenkins Jr. is stepping up now and starting to really understand his role and, and flourish. Brandon Newman in the starting lineup, you know, that's as late in the season as I can see Painter making a lineup change in a team that is a one seed, a top seed team. You know, I know he's messed with lineups before in the past when we're not doing great as a team, but, you know, we, we were in position to be a one seed even late when he said, you know what, we're going to put Newman in there instead of Morton. Um, you know, guys like Mason Gillis understanding their role and, and stemming up when they need to be. So I do think that we are firing very well going into March right now. You know, we've only won two Big Ten tournament titles ever, and we just won one and won the Big Ten by three games. So, yeah, I, I think we're playing some of our best basketball as a team. We're playing team basketball now. I think we're in a meat grinder uh, towards the end of the season, but we're currently on a five-game winning streak. Um, that said, I think our best basketball was after the Rutgers loss because – we play. We had to immediately turn around and play Ohio State at Ohio State, and we won by two in kind of a meat grinder game. And then we had to go to the Palestra, and then we just ran through teams after that, including going to Michigan and winning by five. So I think that that was probably more impressive to me than the PK-85 because what's the one thing I've always argued about conference tournament or conference schedule is you're playing teams that you play once or twice a year and have for the last, in Painter's case, 18 years. There's a ton of tape on what you're going to do, how you're going to do it, where those games in November, those two teams, those three teams or whatever, just didn't really see us that much, or maybe never have, you know? And and on top of that, the closest thing Duke has, or closest team that had anything like Zach Eady is Duke, a 7-3 guy. So I think, and they were coming into their fifth game of the season or whatever with a new coach, so there's a little growing pain. Um, I know that was a long-winded answer, but I think our be- the best time we'd played was June or January and beginning of February, and then um, I think we are playing really well. We're executing really well. It just doesn't look like it because shots aren't dropping. Yeah, I think momentum-wise, two trophies, baby. Cutting down the two nets, cutting down you know, all these – I think momentum wise right now they're they're high they're high and mighty and 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 most of the time that can be a good thing but also sometimes teams can catch team other you know these teams that are hot uh, you know off guard and then all hell breaks loose breaks loose hopefully that doesn't happen uh but I think right now I mean confidence wise is is I mean the boilers got to be just buzzing and I think if you Look at uh, Edie after the Big Ten championship or Big Ten tournament championship win, man. I think that's the happiest I've ever seen him. Just like you can tell, like he was just he was his he was on cloud nine, and so uh, I'm expecting big things going into the tournament um, with momentum wise, and and you know I think Edie's just going to go off. Hopefully, knock on wood. Hopefully, I didn't just jinx him, but you know how that is. Uh, so anything, uh, any closing? Uh, remarks here boys um yeah i just want to really quick touch on and we talk about some of the other programs um baseball is eight and seven right now um they just played a series uh at ole miss the number four team in the country and we did get swept in the three games but we did push them to 10 innings in the second game so you know we played played well played respectable um the women's team also is dancing uh they play thursday night at seven against uh, St. John's. They're in the first four on the women's side. 
St. John's is they're, – they're a decent club. They beat UConn late in the season at UConn, and we know how good their program, their women's basketball program has been. Um, so it's not going to be an easy game. Uh, but they are dancing again for the first time since, I think, 2017. And that's that's always Kate, good. Katie so. Gerald's. She's she's the best, the Beast. coolest. I wish I was as cool as Katie Gerald's. All righty, boys. I think that's uh, I think that's a wrap on today's episode. Uh, appreciate uh, you guys letting me host, even though I'll never do this again because it was way harder than I thought it was. So shout <laughs> out, shout out to our guy Damon who does this every week. I don't know how he does it. It is ten times harder than I could ever imagine. So uh, make sure you follow us on Twitter, YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts. Am I missing anything? I think that's all. We appreciate oh, uh, add in that we are uh, live on YouTube now. We so are our, live on YouTube. Yes, now. our YouTube, or so when we do our live shows, they will also be up on YouTube. And when you leave a comment in the YouTube uh, comments, it pops up so we can see it, yep. which is be sure really to like and share. Help that algorithm bump subscribe up. And, subscribe and you know throw a like at it. I don't know what the kids say yeah. nowadays, but uh, appreciate everyone tuning yeah. in. Boiler up, hammer down. Go boilers burn. by a billion. Heard it.